Welcome, citizens of Earth, to yet another fun-filled episode of the Pop Bonsai Podcast with myself, Jay, and my podcast partner, Mr. Travis Ratz. We are here once again to bring you a, a, a pop culture odyssey mm. to, to just mentally chew on if you will. Um, so what we do real quick on the Pop Bonsai podcast is we take pop culture, different aspects of it, such as uh, music, books, comics, poetry, documentaries, radio shows, anything we can get our grubby mitts on. And, and we find find the common threads in them and we present them to you, our faithful listeners, to to laugh cry shake your angry fists at whatever but hopefully you'll be entertained in some form and today on the 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 old podcast uh this is going to be called our glam set uh right am i right travis i thought glam it was, I thought, it was the, I thought it was the clam set oh clam yeah, glitter yeah, yeah. clam yeah i thought we were gonna <laughs> do it uh, as clams and uh so i went out a bunch of clams <laughs> Uh, I watched, I was trying to think of some movie that has a big clam in it. I watched, uh, <laughs> you know, Little Mermaid. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a great time. Okay. But I can talk, I can talk glam though. I could talk glam. I, 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 I can switch one, it up. <laughs> <laughs> Damn autocorrect. So uh, on our show, on the big show tonight, uh, we're going to be talking about, uh, the 1998, uh, Todd Haynes movie called velvet gold mine and travis and i um are going to be running through our top five david bowie tunes from um, 1970 to 1980 a very important yeah very important distinction because i had a lot of favorites that i couldn't put on this list because we were, yeah. were limiting it to early his glam phase yeah the, like the early stuff to the glam and we had to cap it it would have just it, it it's so vast. I don't I wouldn't I, even know where. Yeah, I don't know if I could make a legit argument five. for like these are these are five because once we get to the '90s, there's so much of that catalog I just haven't got a chance to explore yet. Oh yeah, yeah, D- definitely. Especially like some of the like really new like Black Star and stuff. It's like I maybe heard once. I haven't absorbed it yet. Yeah, and that's as much that's, as the that's a great album too. That's the last one that's that was highly acclaimed. Um, but yeah, we're talking glam rock here, so let's get right. Let's get right into it. Let's get right into let's talking about glam rock. So I, I uh, as I'm like, I'm immediately gonna digress. Um, <laughs> so I, I finished reading uh, Player Two this week, the uh-huh. new Ernest Cline novel. Did you ever read Ready, Ready Player One? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So here's how I'm gonna because this is on my mind. Here's how I'm gonna phrase this question. You know that in Ready Player One, uh, in the Oasis, they have different worlds. Right, where you can yeah. go complete missions and, and things like that, and some interesting new worlds in Ready Player Two. I'm not going to spoil those. Don't worry, mm. but there are some interesting <laughs> new worlds. One in particular, I think you'd really dig, uh, where they have to spend a lot of time on. But so you go to these worlds, and then these worlds are kind of theme based, and then they have a bunch of missions surrounding it. In order to be successful at these missions, you have to know a lot about whatever it is, right? So if it's a John Hughes world, then you have to know a lot about John Hughes and his movies to be successful in these missions. So, Jay, 
if in the Oasis there was a glam rock world, <laughs> how successful do you think you would be at the missions on that world? I wouldn't be very successful, man. I, I haven't, I, I like a lot of the surface stuff, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, like uh, Roxy Music and New York Dolls and T-Rex and, and Bowie. And, but I haven't, I haven't dived deep into glam rock very much. Not like, like punk, you know. Right. Um, but no, I haven't gotten into like weird, obscure stuff. You know, I just I've skimmed the surface and I like it. Enough. Right. Then there's that whole like butt rock phase, which some people still will call glam rock a bit, you know, like Motley Crue and, you know. Oh, stuff that like stuff that. I can go all night. Yeah. Yeah. You I do well in that world. Maybe, that, maybe, that, maybe that's a whole separate world, like the butt yeah, rock world. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same way. I, uh, we were texting this week when we were, you know, or last week and we were deciding, you know, what we were going to uh, delve into this week. And since COVID started, I've been really getting into David Bowie. Um, I had this big gaping Bowie hole. Uh, and, you know, I knew like the major hits and, and things like that. I didn't know much about David Bowie himself. And so I started just kind of going through the catalog, you know, from, you know, yeah. uh, all the way back to Space Odyssey through Hunky Dory. And I got through most of the 70s stuff and into the 80s stuff. And the more I listened, the more fascinated I became with the, the character of David Bowie and also the characters he plays in his albums. Um, uh, I started appreciating his arrangements more. Uh, I started seeing his influences. Um, and then I started, it's hard to read about Bowie because there's not a lot of definitive Bowie biographies out there. Uh, he's mm-hmm. kind of a mysterious guy, but I started watching his documentaries um, about him and just kind of consuming I went, speaking of Ready Player One, I went down a real, uh, like, research hole where I was just like, oh, man, I, I don't know, but maybe it's my age, uh, maybe it's what's going on with COVID now, maybe, I don't know what it is, but Bowie has really been speaking to me for the last six months, and he's become one of my favorite musicians. Like, I put him up there, you know, you look at things, obviously, you talk a lot about, like, Dylan and Tom Waits, those are probably, like, two of the most inf- influential on on me but then you know you have like the stones right uh and um bowie is up there now i put bowie in my top five i thought prince was gonna have a run there for a second earlier this year but once you get past the 80s stuff not for me uh also bruce springsteen has been close to breaking that top five and maybe i might maybe like a number five number six but Bowie's in there, and Bowie could be. I was, I was, I had this conversation the other day, and I said, maybe it's just now I'm really into Bowie. I'll have to let it settle. But Bowie could be like number three for me. He wow. could be, he could be higher than the Stones. It might go Tom Waits, oh, Dylan. Oh, easy. You better think Bowie. that one through. I, I, hey, Wait, I know. Settle down. <laughs> I like to, I like to say things on a podcast. That I can then <laughs> yell at myself years later when I listen back to it. Just make wild exclamations like, Bowie is my third favorite musician of all time. It's never going to change. And I will fight anyone. <laughs> <laughs> anyone who thinks otherwise is just wrong. Mm-hmm. But, uh, y- you know, I-, I do I very, very much respect David Bowie. And 
I like a lot of his songs and the songs that, that this is going to sound really weird, but the songs that I like, I really, really like, but I, there's a lot of songs on, on a lot of his records that are just, it's, it's like so hit or miss for me, I guess. Like there's some of the songs on his records. I'm like, that's just too bizarre. Yeah. You know? Well, there's so um, much, there's so much of it that it's, well, I'm even just talking about the era we covered. Oh, oh, like, okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, and then the the '80s, you know, that's it, I guess it's the it's sort of the same, you know. The '80s gets much more narrative, um, where he's like, you know, talk about. So we're we're gonna talk a little bit more about Bowie later on. We're gonna talk. I, we're gonna, of course he's gonna come up throughout this whole conversation, but yeah, we'll 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 save some of our specific Bowie stuff. But uh, so I said, let's do something with Bowie, dude. Or uh, and you're like, well, have you seen uh, Velvet Goldmine? And I said, no, I have not. I want to see that movie. It's been on my list of movies to see for a long time. I'm a huge Ewan McGregor fan. I've seen probably most of his stuff. Uh, even some really obscure stuff like Adam and stuff like that. Uh, uh, mm. And huge. But this was always, like, I, I for some reason, I just never clicked play on Velvet Goldmine. Just never, never did it. And I'm like, this is perfect. Of course. It's, you know, it's, it, well, so Velvet Goldmine, and you can fill in the holes here. Nineteen ninety-eight film. It's part narrative. It's part musical. It's part original numbers, and then a lot of covers, and then the soundtrack music on top of it. So it's this real hodgepodge uh, of yeah. of ideas. It's it's crazy. This is not a Baz Luhrmann film, right? Yeah. Like yeah. you, you got you got Ewan McGregor, you got glam, you've got musical. It doesn't have the style. It's not as stylish. It's a little bit yeah. a tier below what Baz Luhrmann might do visually. Yeah, it's scrappier. And, and it's, I th- yeah, yeah, I think that one of the things when we talk about things that we wish it could be, I would like that a little bit more, a little more Luhrmann uh, uh, in it. But it basically follows this fictional uh, glam rock musician brian slade uh played by mm-hmm. jay was uh, i don't I remember the guy's name but we gotta, i gotta look that i i gotta look that up, I, I, okay. I look that up. Sorry. um that's fine <laughs> I, I was gonna do this i'm like hey jay's got this covered he's the he's the name guy um and I, he, his name didn't stick with me because i i don't i don't really know him very well yeah he's been in a bunch of stuff that i've seen him i've never really liked him in anything uh he was the it guy for a while he, even I think Woody Allen put him in one of his films or something like that too. Oh, it was really? yeah, he was he was the it guy for a while in the late nineties, early two thousands, but I just don't think he had the charm to make it as, you know, a full time leading actor and now he's kind of become henchman like he was in Vikings the show and stuff like that. Anyways, I'll get his name once I stop talking. Um and, I got his name right here. Oh, what is I got it? His name. It is Bryce? No. Jonathan Jonathan Rice Myers? Jonathan Reese Myers. Reese Myers, yeah. Yeah, he's a good-looking dude. Yeah, yeah, I think that's one of the things he had, that that look. And so, basically, he plays Brian Slade, this Bowie-esque figure that is an amalgamation, mostly Bowie, but an amalgamation of some other figures. And it's a non-linear story, so we're jumping around, we're using all, we're throwing every storytelling technique in the book at this movie. At one point, there's even dolls involved. Um, which I actually like, and <laughs> yeah, me too. And it it's a look at the music, the sexuality, the 
uh, well, it's actually a lot of that about the sexuality, um, and a lot about fame, um, yeah. and a lot about glam, but not directly. There's not a lot of direct statements made about glam at the time. Like they they don't define themselves as glam per se in the movie, but it's all about this kind of glam rock era and they're using amalgamations of different characters like Iggy Pop and Lou Reed um yeah and uh to tell the story. Sorry, I talked too long. <laughs> no, no. No, it's it's fine. It's perfect. Um that yeah, sets us it, up. It, that sets us up. <laughs> Um, it's, is like I said before, it's, it seems, uh, it's very scrappy. It's, it's, you know, like you were saying, I, I like what you're saying. It's, it, it's, it's Baz Luhrmann-ish in, in the sense that it, it doesn't have a straight, um, soundtrack. Like, you know, this group does these songs, Ewan McGregor and, and Jonathan Rice Myers do vocals on some, Tom York does some vocals on some of the numbers. Um, Jarvis Cocker and Pulp do a song. Um, and it's, yeah. And it, it, it uses um, the world of, of like seventies uh, glam rock, but not, not to the precise way that anyone knows it. It's, you know, it's, it's very, you know, like uh, they had like a, a, a a New York Dolls song that this band was doing, but it was a female singer, right. you know, and, and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's which actually T-Rex song in there. Yeah. But you know, I, I actually really liked that. Um, I want to get your opinion about that too, but, but I am not a huge fan of um, uh, biopics because they, they end up just either they overdo it and it's just cheesy, like Val Kilmer and the Doors, mm-hmm. um, or even like uh, uh, what's this Gary Oldman and Sid Nancy. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it, it, they can never get it quite right because if you know, you know Bowie, or you know, you know whoever are these icons they make, but Elton John, John Lennon, whoever, they can never get the personalities right because mm-hmm. it's impossible. These guys are like these larger than life icons mm-hmm. and very seldom can these actors portray them all because all, all i see are all the flaws mm-hmm. i'm just like that's ridiculous that's so stupid that's so cheesy i you know it makes you just want to go out and like just listen to the actual albums or right, something right right you know but when you do it like this there's no expectations right. you know i wasn't sitting there saying oh come on Ewan mcgregor's doing such a crappy iggy pop you know because it's not iggy pop that's yeah. that's kurt wild yeah you know and and this guy, he's not doing Bowie any justice, but it's not Bowie. It's 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 Brian Slade. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, what yeah. did you think about that? Well, uh, I'll tell you. So my fir- first thing is, I I view biopics a little bit differently. I I tend to enjoy biopics uh, when they're done well. Um, Ray Charles, for example, example Ray, I thought was fantastic. I liked Walk the Line. Uh, I liked the new Elton John Rocket Man one. I didn't like the Queen one. I, that that one didn't capture. I think. The thing I like about a biopic is you're right. You look at the flaws, and that is a downside. But they also make me want to go back in and discover that artist again. That's how I got took a deeper dive into Johnny Cash after that movie. I took a deeper dive into Ray after that movie. Um, and 
because you get to put visuals to oftentimes older music and the visuals yeah. the aesthetic of the visuals tends to be a little bit more modern and stylish in these biopics so the visual kind of for me becomes a bridge between what can seem like dated music and maybe a reason why I haven't checked it out into mm. like oh the visuals give it a set a, 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 a much more sense of relevancy and topicalness so maybe I should go back into it so it's it's kind of like opening the door and then once I open the door and consume the stuff, then go back and watch the movie. Then it can maybe seem a little trite or a little bit overdone, as you said, like too over the top. But I like them in a sense of uh, like, for example, I had already gotten way into um, uh, Hank Williams before uh um, that Shine a Light biopic came out like five or six years ago and so i knew a lot about hank williams and so that movie was a disappointment because yeah. i was like why did you skip this part why did you portray him like this why why didn't you show this why isn't it grittier like his song it should be grittier like his songs but when it comes to a musician that i don't know a lot about like i didn't know a lot about elton john i heard his songs but i really liked that rocket man i thought it was a, a stylish way of, of taking his visuals and and introducing me to the man and then i went back and listened to you know, the bitch is back. It's a song that never did it for me. But then when I saw the visuals to it, I'm like, oh, this song is actually pretty badass, you know? Uh, and so there is that side of it. But at the same time, I also like what they're doing here with kind uh -huh. of a tone poem to glam rock where yeah. it's, you're these things, you have a little bit more freedom legally because, you know, you're less likely to get sued. You don't have to run it by the estate of the person. That's a big thing, you know, is having to run stuff by the estate. Uh, this new David Bowie movie that came out called Stardust, um, starring Johnny Flynn and uh, Mark Maron, they didn't get permission from the estate. The estate did not approve this movie. So they didn't, get to, they didn't get to use any of his music in it. So they had to use kind of off-brand stuff. And when he was playing, he was playing cover songs of stuff that Bowie would have been inspired by, but not the, the stuff. Um, they just ran through the pinups album. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that that that's a case where it's like, oh, you wanted to make a biopic, but you don't have the rights, so you had to sacrifice some of the key elements that make a biopic great. I mean, don't get me wrong, uh, I still enjoy the movie because it is... Did you? Was it still good? I liked it, yeah. I, I thought it was wow. really good. It's a really small movie about one small section of Bowie's life. Uh, right, be, mm -hmm. right before he becomes this big rock and roll figure um so i think that's one I w i'll tell audiences to check out well i'll do it right now check that out but i'll tell you check it out again at the end um so yeah i, I did like as you were saying i did like how the the approach to this and i was trying to think of other films in the musical genre that do this um with creating a fake band that resembles something like has anyone ever done it for elvis or the beatles uh, not that I don't think that that's run so parallel, you know, there's, um, there's a movie called strange fruit about these old rockers. It came out in like, Oh, 2000 and 2001. It's about these old rockers getting together. They're really big and they, and so they're not any band in particular, but it, it might as well have been, you know, the stones or, or, or something, mm -hmm. you know, so, but I couldn't think of anything that was so winky as this yeah, movie yeah. Uh, without, with it being like, oh, that's, that's, 
obviously Iggy Pop and Lou Reed put together and but it's not so uh and like oh that's obviously Bowie's first wife uh because of how she's interact but it's it's not so it gave the the artists a little more freedom to create within the lines you know it did. I mean, the only thing that was a, that threw off a little bit more is um, they did use actual Stooges songs, and yeah, like know, Danger, did use, Give Me Danger, yeah, yeah. They did use actual uh, songs of that era, but they didn't use any Bowie songs. Again, um, I think that, I think and, he's a, I think he's really tight with his his songs. If you think about if you think about movies, you really don't hear a lot of Bowie. I heard. Did you ever watch no. that that? Uh, miniseries on HBO called Vinyl? No. The uh, Martin Scorsese? Yeah, Scorsese one. Yeah, yeah. They would put like little music videos in those and someone oh. does a beautiful cover of Life on Mars, like a piano version of it. So it's not Bowie singing it, but it's definitely... So maybe that's because the, maybe the, the record company owns the rights to the song, like the actual music, but not... Could the, be. Yeah, the, the song that he sings. Well, apparently he was going to lend some songs to this, but um, after he found out that the movie was based off of uh, not unauthorized biography and like his ex-wife's uh, book that came out, he pulled it out. Yeah, he pulled all the songs out. Um, so, yeah. I, I mean, honestly, if if you, I don't know about the you know the relationship. Only what I've read, but I would imagine that if someone's like, "Hey, we're making this movie," I'm like, "Cool!" Like, I let's see a movie about me made about me. Yeah, but <laughs> we it's a lot of it's based on your ex wife's perception. I'd be like, "Oh, nope." Yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> no way. That would be like getting your ex girlfriend to give the eulogy at your funeral. <laughs> Yeah, that wouldn't be the most, you know, a uh, flattering light, yeah. I guess. It would be like we talked about last week. He was disarming. I'm like, I don't know if that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it it was it's definitely a, a big like you said, a big hodgepodge of of music, but um I think like if you if you like this kind of stuff, if you are a fan of the music and in and, and this era of rock and roll, I think you would be pleased with this because it's, it's done. It's done very much in that same energy. You know, it, it's, it's, it's pretty fast paced. It's bizarre. I mean, some of the shots are really cool looking and, and um, the characters are really big and extravagant and, and it just, it sort of seems like, an ode to glam rock. It is. You know? It is. There, like there, because those there's these musical breaks where there's these tiny music videos all throughout this movie, and those are really fun and well produced, and they sparkle. Uh, uh, I think if you remastered this movie, you could even get you could even squeeze more out of those shots. Um, yeah. Uh, I had to kind of watch it in this kind of streaming version, so I don't even know if I got the highest quality. So I mean, a really nice you know, 4K remaster of these shots would really make those uh, musical numbers sing. The performances, aside, I might say, from Jonathan Reese myers I think are fantastic in this movie. Hugh McGregor is, like, peak Hugh McGregor. Um, you know, 
you know, it's it's so weird. Like you see Train Spotting, Iggy Pop is like all over that, and then he gets to play Iggy Pop, and you're like, oh, you're a big Iggy Pop fan, aren't you, buddy? Um, there are some really profound moments of dialogue between. Dude, two that's characters. exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to get into. Yeah, you're watching this. I don't mean to cut you off. Real no, quick, no, no, I'll no. Let you get back to your your thought, but yes, you're sitting there watching this movie, and it just came off of this really ab- absurd scene, and suddenly the character drops this this really profound little nuggets. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, wow, that makes so, a lot of sense. Let's, let's talk about some of those then. You know, I think a mouthpiece for a lot of the glam era attitude came from Eddie Izzard's character, who plays like their manager. He, uh-huh. he gets to be the mouthpiece for the the scene, like the music, like... like, like what are they trying to do with the artists they're putting out there and, and encouraging to be weird and wild? And he said, I'm, I'm going to butcher this, but he, he talks about, you know, like the universe puts these strange people into the universe to be strange. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. And to give us good art. And I guess total butchering of that line. But his he says it in a really profound way about, you know, that whole glam rock scene was about being strange. It was about uh, loosening up those restrictions. Again, they are they are coming from like all like we're we'll talk about David Bowie later about his writing style. It reminds me like he just kind of ate Dylan with that magazine cut out, you know, collage phrases and words together, um, but. The theatrics of it, and he talks about at one point they're talking about um, uh, this is at the one of the end scenes between Hugh McGregor and Christian Bale's character, and he's talking about uh, you know we we did this stuff to change the world, and we're the only ones who changed. Huh. And then Christian Bale says, "Is that a bad thing?" And then Ewan McGregor says, only if you don't look at the world. And I was like, wow. Right? Because glam rock, that 70s rock, it did change the world. It did change. uh, It really set the table for this kind of weird avant-garde stuff that that happened in the 80s. And with synthesizers and and butt rock and and androgyny. Uh, I mean, mean, setting the seeds for making androgyny acceptable and, and, you know... But at the same time, like that, their intention was to, you know, get out there and do something that made noise, to do something that that engaged the youth culture in a different way. But it changed them more than it changed the culture, even at least in this character's mind. And it's like, wow, what a transformation these guys, especially these Bowie esque characters, Iggy Pop, Lou Reed. Yeah, they changed the world, but. You're right. They completely became aliens. Lou Reed, yeah. Iggy Pop, and David Bowie completely became aliens. They were they in order to create this this music, they had to fully transform themselves into different human beings. And they're never I don't think they were ever able to get out of that. Maybe Iggy a little bit more than Bowie and Lou Reed and some of these other guys, but yeah, you don't think of the toll and the sacrifice that they make. I mean, they gain a lot too, not just money-wise, but just being 
introspective, creative people, but they had to, they had to throw away everything of their past in order to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that I thought was really interesting about this is um, I, I was watching this interview with with the director uh, Todd Haynes, and he was saying that one of the things that he really likes about glam rock is that there's so many hypocrisies um, and so many contradictions in it. And one of the things, so we're talking about these nuggets of truth and um, Travis was talking about one one of the characters um, said, uh, so he says, uh, great artists create beautiful things that has, that have none of themselves in it. Mm -hmm. And, you're like, huh, that, you know, it, it, it stuff like that. And um, one of the other things uh, he's, I think this is Tony Collette's character that said, um, what's true about music is true about life. Beauty reveal, beauty reveals everything because it expresses nothing. Yeah. And I'm like, what the yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> I, like, I was wondering, I didn't do this but i'm like did those quotes come from somewhere else well i think it's... they <laughs> i know they, they they stole heavily from oscar wilde so there's a lot yeah. of oscar wilde quotes peppered in throughout this so i don't know in particular that one or some of the other ones but i bet if you look at some of the more profound quotes they could be direct grabs from oscar wilde or a a mutation of yeah, of, of his words because you have this and one of the things i was going to say as a criticism to this is you it's you have too many ingredients i think going on here i'm okay with the non-linear storytelling i'm okay with these vignettes uh i'm okay with all these different perspectives that we have to get the story from uh but it's like maybe one too many and if i had to remove one the oscar wilde stuff i i, I get it like it echoes that you know Every generation, every century, every few decades, these people come along. These strange people who are put on the universe to be strange and change everyone else and to expand. Uh, and Oscar Wilde was one of those people. And he just happened to be, you yeah. know, homosexual and a dandy and, and, and all those things, which fit well with why they chose that character as opposed to other previously eccentric characters. Um, but I was like, ooh, that might be one ingredient too many uh, to follow. But <laughs> it does... It does beg for multiple viewings when you have oh, that yeah. many ingredients in there. You could just watch this film as a study of Oscar Wilde as well, and like what that kind of personality is about. Uh, it could be a good companion piece if you were reading Oscar Wilde. Uh, yeah, but you could also know nothing about Oscar Wilde, and and nothing is taken away from the movie. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I was watching this interview with Christian Bale. Uh, about this and he said that when he read the script one of the things he liked about it he said it was like like a pop song that that you really like but you the, the lyrics just don't make sense to you and he said that but every time you hear that song uh, certain things kind of come to light um, every time you hear it just a little bit a little mm -hmm. bit more you start to understand a little bit to you it starts to mean a little bit, you know, more to you, and and he, I totally think that's that's really accurate describing this film because, yeah, dude, it's there's so much going on, and 
I don't even know if you go in here not knowing who Iggy Pop is or, or, or Bowie or if you if you're not familiar with any of this. You think like someone could keep it all keep it all straight? I don't know. I was thinking about that because if I watched this in '98 when it did come out, I wouldn't I wouldn't know much about Iggy Pop. I wouldn't know much about Lou Reed. Uh, I wouldn't know much about Bowie. Uh, I I don't even know if I would be able to be like, oh, this is about David Bowie, and and I, I don't think I would have gotten the connection. I knew what glam rock was, you know, and in that sense. But yeah, I I don't think I would. I don't think I would have enjoyed it as much, honestly. Uh, not saying yeah. that you you that you have to be into that stuff to enjoy this movie. I think it works as its own piece. It seems very dated in '98 in some ways to work as its own piece. It's very of that kind of uh, like post indie, the the latter half of that kind of '90s indie film movement where they're allowed to take greater chances. This movie was successful. I think they spent nine million on it and made over a hundred million dollars uh, worldwide. Dang. So that's a huge. Uh, win for them and it has i mean just what became you know huge actors like christian bale and and ewan mcgregor and uh these even jonathan reese myers was probably the most popular one at the time he kind of disappeared but um yeah i think i think i think you could watch this not knowing about those things i wouldn't suggest it i wouldn't recommend it to anyone who wasn't into this stuff or at least knew about it uh, that would be a little bit hard for them. Um, the original numbers in here are fun, but they're not strong enough to exist solely on their individual created numbers. Um, yeah. And they're all kind of like takes on a, an original song. So it's kind of like someone writing a parody of that song a little bit. So they're kind of using the same in- imagery, but with different words. Uh so that was kind of interesting. So, but that's fun if you know kind of what that song is parroting. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, there was, um, I believe, on the Stooges songs, um, Mike Watt, and I think it was Scott Ashton was in the band. Oh, that, okay. Like, yeah, that makes sense. But one of the, yeah, one of the things that was I thought was really hilarious was so I guess uh, Courtney Love was another person that was supposed to lend their uh, voice to this, to the soundtrack to some of the songs on here. But after seeing the movie, she thought um, Ewan McGregor's character, uh, I guess she thought they ripped off Kurt Cobain. (laughs) Oh, because of some of his hairstyles, maybe? Yeah. And and Todd Haynes was like, "Uh, look, Kurt Cobain ripped off Iggy Pop. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It has nothing to do with Kurt Cobain. But she she pulled her, her part out, too, which was pretty hilarious if you ask me but that's funny yeah that's when she was like really into that crusade of protecting her dead husband's legacy i don't yeah yeah um what did you think about <laughs> the other thing that i thought was <laughs> is it odd to see christian bale does a really good job in the when he's playing the reporter and like those end scenes when he's interviewing the wife and when he's interviewing you mcgregor uh when he's a child it looks so weird because he's like this grown man in like tiny little glam clothes. And it just looks, <laughs> it makes it seem perverted almost in a way that is kind of like, ooh, this is kind of pervert. There's a lot of things in this where there, you know, sexuality is is a big 
theme in this movie. Yeah. I think more so than probably David Bowie would like in 98 when this movie came out. I think in his latter part of his career, he he regretted hinging so much on, you know, bisexuality and and that idea because he felt like it 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 pigeonholed him and turned him off <laughs> in certain markets so he couldn't do some of the things he wanted to do. Um but uh, this movie uses, you know, glam rock as a way to explore uh, sexuality and androgyny and monogamy. Um, yeah, in, yeah. In ways that are very sweet, but also in ways that are really dark as well, you know. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what someone from the LGBTQ uh, community would think about this movie now. If it if it stands up as a as a a work that's embraced or a work that is not, you know, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I, to answer your question about uh, at the beginning, when you were talking about Christian Bale, I really liked that part where, yeah, he, he, so in this movie, he, he, in the beginning, well, not in the beginning, but in parts of the movie, it, it, it depicts him as a young guy, getting into glam rock mm -hmm. and he looks really out of place. Like he looks like he's trying a little too hard and he just, there's something off about him. You know, when he wears like his clothes and he's got makeup on and he just doesn't look quite right. Yeah. yeah. But, but it's, I like that yeah, yeah. because I feel like he was one of these guys that, like liked the music so much, but like visually he didn't really fit in because he, he just looked kind of clumsy. I see what you're saying. And, and, but a lot of times some of the people that look the part aren't even as dedicated to the music as the guy from the outside that's, you know, that, that still isn't, doesn't get the look quite right. Right. You know, and I, I kind of feel like Christian Bale was one of those guys like he he embraced the music. It spoke to him. It meant something to him, um, you know. But yet he he was always kind of the outsider. Yeah, he was. You're talking about. It's really. I agree with you completely. And you're stepping into that idea of a fan versus a poser. Like the fan right. is like someone where the art means something. A poser is just like I just like the style of it. And they get that part, you know, to the T. Yeah, they do. But, they nailed it. Yeah, that's an interesting point on that. Yeah, I yeah. thought that was pretty fun. So all in all, I thought this movie was, it was really fun to watch. Again, it, it's coming off this long, lengthy journey I've had with, with David Bowie. And so it was this nice topper to it to see a fictionalized reaccounting of his life. And I, I would never take anything from this movie and use it in a conversation about Bowie's life and like pull facts. <laughs> well, you know... uh uh, this, and I'm like, no, 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 because it's, <laughs> I think it's all, it's a little pixie dust on this, uh, oh, yeah. uh on a lot there. Of pixie dust. Um, and I, I also wouldn't say it maybe is a definitive movie on glam music in general. Again, it, they don't really, I don't even think that, that the songs capture what that 70s glam sound was necessarily to me uh, that great, but as far as the movement, 
for me, I took away is that every couple of decades we get, as I said before, I'm going to just repeat myself. This is kind of my final thesis of the movie. Every couple of decades you get these weird eccentric characters who take risk and they catch fire and then that changes the world around them. And without these weird people, and even a step further is sometimes you have to transform yourself into something in order to really discover who you are. So before you can do any kind of self-reflection or art, you must, you know, transform yourself. It's kind of like that, that, you know, caterpillar in the butterfly. It's, uh-huh. you know, in order for people to see the beauty, you must undergo the transformation. Um, and that, I think that, that movie captures this really well by using 70s glam rock as, as a, a, a backdrop for that, that theme. So let me ask you this. Who is, who do you see doing that now? Um, or, or, or Jack, when was the last time Jack White, I see it. I see stepping into it a little bit. I think he's so rooted in um, heritage of the music. Uh, so oftentimes, people like David Bowie, you know, I mean, there's like the tracks that we picked, there's a lot of Stone influence on that early 70s stuff. Uh, and they they don't they're not vocal about okay yeah I'm actually was inspired by this and I took this and, and you kind of put my own twist on it and then it became something new. Jack White seems to be very much looking to the past to create mm-hmm. new sounds, and I think the, the characters like Bowie and Iggy Pop are looking to the future and are unable to separate their roots in their attempt to transcribe that future into music, the present, if that makes any sense. It's like um, uh, Jack looks back to go ahead, and Bowie looks ahead but can't help being affected by his past. Interesting. Um, uh, on, on there. Do you, do you, can, can you think of anyone who's doing something like this? Not, and I hate to I hate to say this, but not on a level that's going to really matter, you uh, know. Yeah. Um. I I think as far as like popular music, honestly, I think like the last time it probably happened was in the the early two thousands with stuff like you know, and I know the Strokes aren't exactly the most original sounding band. Everybody says, oh, they copied Television and. But stuff with like the Strokes and, and Interpol and, and the White Stripes and the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, um, like that yeah, whole Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, as I see that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I yeah, feel, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel those guys made an impact mm-hmm. um, on, on pop, on, on youth at the time. Because um, I know I was into them. Yeah. I, I was starting, you know. You know, as, as much as I used to listen to punk music, um, it honestly was just starting to become copies of copies of copies. Mm. You know, like the the labels I was I was listening to just kind of started petering out, and the bands just started to t- sounding like like caricatures of themselves. And this stuff came along, 
I'm like, hey, these guys kind of sound like Joy Division. Hey, these guys kind of sound like television. Hey, you know, and and, and I I grabbed onto some of that, and they, I thought a lot of it was really good, and I think a lot of it made an impact on on my generation. But since then, now, dude, I don't see anything. To be honest. Yeah, know, it might be coming know. from places like hip hop and stuff like that. You you look at someone like Lady Could Gaga. Be. You look, you look like someone as someone like Lady Gaga, who obviously was influenced by Bowie as far as the pageantry of especially oh, in yeah. her early days. But it didn't seem authentic. Like she was playing these characters, but it seems and maybe Bowie was doing it for there's a certain amount of Bowie was doing it for shock value as well. But there was a sense that Bowie was method about it. Like when he was Ziggy Stardust, supposedly he was Ziggy Stardust. When he was Halloween Jack, he was Halloween Jack. When he was Aladdin Sam, he was Aladdin Sam. And you, I get a sense from Lady Gaga, it's more about like, oh, I have this event. Let me put on a character for this event. I'm going to wear a meat dress or I'm going to wear this thing or I'm going to wear this thing. And so it's about moments of avant-gardeness. Uh, to sell an image as opposed to that idea of transformation that we talked about. And if you're going to like Bowie commits himself to the transformation, yeah, yeah. Tom Waits does that a bit too. And so does Dylan. You know, I, I, one of the things I've noticed going into Bowie, I'm certain Bowie kind of tied a lot of things together. I told you, I, I almost put Prince was edging his way into like the top 20, <laughs> but he didn't make it. But when I look at, whoa, what here are my favorite artists. What do they all have in common? Um, a lot of the, the top ones is this idea of transformation. Dylan yeah. is not Dylan. He's not R Bob Zimmerman. He was Woody Guthrie first, and then he became this, this Dylan figure that is Bob Dylan. Uh, Tom Waits, totally transformative, right? Um, into different characters. Uh, David Bowie. Uh, and so, uh, I'm interested to in, in, in pursue this idea of of, of transformation and also see how I can use it in my own work as far as, but it seems like you have to go, there's no half-assing it. Like you have to live. Yeah. Like Tom Waits lived in a shitty motel room for like 10 years of his life. That was the size of, you know, it was a hotel room there on Hollywood and Vine, you know, type thing. And uh -huh. um, Bowie was Ziggy's stardust, this weird alien, you know, uh, it, it'd be interesting to see. I think everyone has to kind of do that. If you're going to have a, a long career in music, I, th I think it's, it's almost just something inevitable that you have to go through is, mm -hmm. you know, and you know, a lot of people may scoff and I'm not putting this band in the, in the, the, ballpark with with Springsteen and Dylan and Bowie but if even if you look at U2 you know if you look at like early U2 and, and you know the, like just being like the, the scrappy political you know shake your fist of, of like Sunday bloody Sunday and stuff like that and then you know you, you go into like Joshua Tree era and then you go into like Rattle and Hum where he's like the, like the blues man you know era and then you go into like pop Zuropa, uh, Octon Baby, where he's, he's almost like, you know, they're, they almost become like glam-like type characters. You almost kind of have to do that. Otherwise, you know, 
shit just gets stale. Well, it's, and, if, if the art's coming through the same filter, it's going to be the same art. So if you change, yeah, true. so you have to change the filter because you yeah. are the, you are the filter for the art. And so if you don't change, if you don't transform, then the art isn't going to transform. Then you end up like Green Day. It was like a slow progression of like trying to change the filter, but they they never change the filter. They just change the instrumentation. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my you gosh. Know? Yeah. That's a whole other show we yeah. should do. <laughs> yeah. But speaking of music, let's get to our, our and Bowie, let's get to our, our, our picks here. Now, um you sent me your uh five uh five of your favorite um Bowie songs of interest uh from uh this this basically seventy to eighty. Uh-huh. Uh, and I did the same thing from 70 to 85 of them. Now, I, I put yours in this list I haven't shared with you, so I'll, I'll run through it here. I basically did one for one, so one of yours and one of mine. And we start off our Pop Bowie, uh, Pop Bonsai Bowie playlist, which you can find on YouTube. Uh, if you search Pop Bonsai Bowie playlist, you can find on Spotify if you search Pop Bonsai Bowie playlist, and you can find on our website. We now have a playlist tab, and that is on there with some of our other playlists. So if you're looking for that, then you can go to any of those places to listen to that. And I suggest, you know, you can listen along as, as we're going through these. We're not going to spend yeah. 30 minutes on each, but we'll, we'll, we'll give kind of a rundown of what the song captures. First one is yours with Space Odyssey. Uh, Oddity, excuse me. Yeah, so that came off of uh, his 1969 second LP. Um, and this was one of the first, was one of the first, not the first uh, songs I ever heard from Dave Bowie. And I just think it's so, and, and, and I hate this word now because it's so overused, but it's it's such a sweeping epic, you know, um, it's just, it seems so grand and it's not, you know, a fast song. It's not, you know, it's got like, you know, um, it's moments of like, uh, I don't want to say surrealism, but almost like, uh, like sarcasm, especially when, when, you know, uh, so one of the lyrics, you know, he says, and the, and and they want to know who what is, gosh I can't remember for some reason I'm drawing a blank and the uh, something what, wants and the to know papers what want to know wear. what and the papers want to know what clothes you wear, clothes you wear. Yeah, yeah. and you're down to leave the capsule yeah. if you dare uh, listen I can butcher some David Bowie lyrics <laughs> I'll be like that's not what they say at all I'm like well my version's better <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you know it's like lyrics like that that just kind of like throw in a little bit of cynicism in the in this otherwise like grand moment you know um it just it seems so actual real life kind of you know it is and the interesting thing about this song it's a good pick on here is in 1969 i think this came out a couple months before the moon landing uh so Uh much so that on british television when they showed the moon landing the british television played this in the background Really, uh, of, of, the, of the of the moon landing or the launch, uh, I forget which one it was. Uh, but yeah, that that was so ingrained on there. But at the same time, this also solidified Bowie as a novelty artist. Kind of like, does your chewing gum lose its flavor on the bedpost overnight, or, or a boy named you know you know uh, those songs? It was a novelty song, 
In fact, even his earlier stuff in this uh, um, is unreleased kind of, you know, albums. It's it's they're all novelty songs. And when one of the reasons it was hard for him to break into space, uh, this was a this was a huge worldwide hit. Uh, but when he tried to break into the states years later, even with success in London, they wouldn't let him because they're like, "Where's the next novelty song? We just want to hear Space Oddity. We just want mm-hmm. we just want to know a novelty song." And so now it seems like this really um, ahead of its time opera. Uh, but at the time, it 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 was like Grandma got run over by a reindeer. Or itsy bitsy, interesting. Uh, yeah. You know, and it's it's so it's so crazy to think of this song as that because it's so inventive and it's so surreal and sweeping, as you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or donde está Santo Claus? Claus? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know. Uh, so the next one was uh, my pick. Uh, this is Queen Bitch. Queen Bitch. And Ooh, I this, like accent. Yeah, I'm like, you gotta say bitch. That's bitch. Bitch. <laughs> Uh, and this is, of course, from uh, uh, what year? It's from Hunky Dory, which I believe was 1971. His uh, yeah. Hunky Dory uh, album, 1971. Um, Queen Bitch. Uh, again, when you you can listen to this song, um, and it has that rocking vibe to it, which is kind of is a little bit of like rocking cat stevens almost uh and you know you can listen to it and just jam out to it and i'm not really big into songs that um use like sexuality as politics so much i guess it's important that they're out there because a lot of people do struggle with their sexuality and and coming to terms with it or exploring it um and but you know when you look at the song it's obviously about this you know i'm watching i'm i'm up on the ninth floor watching the cruisers below right and you know he sees um this transvestite walking down the street and this transvestite approaches this good-looking guy and he's watching all this and he's jealous of this you know he's he's in love with this guy you know, his looks, and he's looking at the transvestite, and he's like, I can do better than that. Come walk with your bibbity-bobbity hat. I can do better than that. And he's so he's stuck in this kind of, where he's like, he's looking at someone who is being what he wants to be, who has taken that risk that he isn't able to take. So he's kind of like the armchair philosopher who's like, oh, I can, I can do better than that. I could, you know, I could do this. But in terms of his sexuality, he's like, oh, I... Oh, I, I if I if I really opened up and explored, I could be better than that. I could I could do trans better than that. And mm. it's a really interesting song when I really stopped and listened to the lyrics of it. And even the title Queen Bitch. I mean, that's what he's being. He's being a little queen bitch right there. He's like, you uh-huh. know, being real sassy about it. You know, in a Kardashian generation, I feel that this song really hits home with the Kardashian generation of people. It's just like it's a oh, cool song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that song a lot. I <laughs> like. You ever seen Zoolander? Parts. Oh, okay. <laughs> this, this Zoolander. What the way you responded made me think of uh, 
uh, Owen Wilson's character is telling this long story, and he's you know, he's like kind of tripping out. It's kind of long and boring, and the story ends, and someone in the crowd is just like, "Great story, cancel." <laughs> <laughs> Well, here's yeah. the thing. Um, I haven't really, like, you seem like you have chewed on these songs yes. a yeah. lot. Yeah. You know, it's like I, you know, I I listen and, and I, I like a lot of things, but I, I haven't really, you know, pondered them a, a lot. You yeah, know, yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm not a huge Bowie guy. Yeah. But. You know, I do. I do enjoy it. Um, yeah, Bowie like Dylan is one of those things where you can like three three people can look at one song and find different meanings to it. I think he's a little bit more grounded than Dylan can get sometimes with his early stuff. Uh, but it's fun. It's fun to look at the stories behind these uh, and the imagery and break down the imagery and then connect them. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Uh, and this next song that you picked, uh, Suffragette City is another great example of that. So why'd you pick Suffragette City? Okay, so Suffragette City is the first song uh, I ever heard from David Bowie. And it was actually a cover from an old British punk band. And I want to say it was the Newtown Neurotics that covered it. I don't even remember. But I'm like, oh, that's such an awesome... It was kind of like a a cherry red... Don't the Cramps do this too? Do they? I don't know. Oh, maybe. Go ahead. Finish the story. Yeah. So um, this whole <laughs> but great, great story, Hansel. <laughs> <laughs> it would make sense, but yeah, it's. Um, I liked how. So after I, I realized it was a cover and it was David Bowie's, and so I went out and bought like uh, like his greatest hits album, and you know this was on it. And, and we should, we should was, say this is from the 1972 album, The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders. Yeah, Wars. yeah. You'll, this, this album is a couple times on our list. Go ahead. Yeah. And um, one of the things that I, I really like about uh, David Bowie is he seems to, because this is kind of one of his like more like a little bit faster, you know, and and as much as some of his songs is, is like, you know, and I, sound like a cliche but as, as rocking as sometimes some of his songs get he maintains this composure about his vocals like his vocals he, they never really go bleh, you know he never loses it he always maintains this this control over it where you can you know the, the music maybe speeds up and 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 sometimes you know like like mick ronson can get like some really awesome riffs in there but his voice his just have this like I, I don't want to say posh, but this very um it's articulate. Everything is articulated. Yeah. As yeah. opposed to like we were talking about some of the other ones like Dylan and Waits, who are you're like, they're not good singers. Uh even um uh um Iggy Pop uh and Lou Reed, not not great singers. Uh but Bowie falls more into the the Jagger uh, Springsteen and you could argue Springsteen, I guess, but um, where it's like, <laughs> um, no, like you could, like he could sing just like straight up pop music in a choir, yeah. and you'd be like, that guy's the best in the choir. Yeah. Oh yeah, dude. I mean, I'm sure his like, if you took any of these isolated vocals, you'd be like, like wow. Yeah. You know, it wouldn't be one of those things where you'd be like, you know, you'd cringe. But yeah, there's he just maintains this really awesome 
I guess Georgia City, um, from what I've read, is, is kind of based on a Clockwork Orange, um, and that's probably why a lot of punk bands cover this song. I don't know, but yeah, it's 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 one of his punchier numbers, and yeah, this is a song that got me in. It introduced me to David Bowie, so I put that on there. All right, you gotta, you gotta give the shout out to the first, uh, you know, time you hear something. Uh, the next song on the list is uh, one of mine, uh, and that is Diamond Dogs. Diamond, <laughs> I always want to say Diamond Dallas Page. Uh, Diamond Dogs, <laughs> uh, and that is from the uh, titular title of the album, Diamond Dogs. And that's a 1974 album, Diamond Dogs. Uh, I really love this album. Um, Hunky Dory, like the where some of them are are from, that's starting to get a lot of people are are looking back at that as like this was really good Bowie and didn't get its success in the United States it deserved. I think Diamond Dogs is going to be one of those albums as well where people look back and you know we ha- there's a couple of songs from Diamond Dogs uh, on our list um, and this one here is. Uh, if you get a chance, listen to the lyrics of it. But here's what Bowie said about Diamond Dogs. I really love this. Uh, and it really changes the way you look at the song. Um, so he says, this is taken from an interview, a 1993 interview. He said, They'd taken over this barren city, this city that was falling apart. Then They'd been able to break into windows of jewelers and things. So they've dressed themselves up in furs and diamonds. But they had snaggle teeth. Really filthy, kind of like vicious Oliver Twist. It was a take on, what if those guys had gone malicious? If Fagin's gang had gone absolutely apeshit? They were living on the tops of buildings. They were all little Johnny Rottens and Sid Viciouses. Um, <sighs> and the, when, you, um, when you listen to the song, um, again, uh, it is. It is this kind of clockwork orange post-apocalyptic these british little snaggle tooth you know submission i love the idea the diamond dogs because you know at that time the idea of poshness was fur coats and you know draping yourself in diamonds so you have all these little rotten little uh street urchins in london have broken into these shops and They've, you know, taken the fur coats and draped themselves in diamonds, but they're out doing like clockwork orange type shit. Uh, and, you know, the and then the, as you said, like the rockingness of the song, it's, it is very stonesy. It does feel like a stone yeah. song. Uh, and the song itself, the audio starts to dissolve about two thirds of the way through it. You think it's glitching. And I remember several times I'm like, uh-huh. wait, maybe it's this version or maybe it's my headphones. But the song about two thirds of the way, it starts to almost tear itself apart. Uh, uh-huh. I thought that was really interesting. I don't, as a listener, I don't like it. I'm like, no, I want the polished version of it. But as an artistic choice, I, I can't help but respect it to make your track actually kind of fall apart on you. Yeah, yeah. All right, the next one we have is one of yours. And that is uh, the Gene Genie. Yeah. And so that is on the 1973 album Aladdin Sane, which is um, probably my favorite Bowie album. Um, good I mean, choice. Geez. That's a good choice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, watch that man. Uh, Drive in Saturday. Track. 
Drive-In Saturday, Cracked Actor, Prettiest Star, Let's Spend the Night Together, which you talk about Stones, which I don't know. If, um, have you ever heard the Rolling Stones do? Yeah, uh, Let's the Spend the Night too. I'm more yeah. familiar with that version than I am this version, actually. Um, yeah, great song. Um, Gene Genie. I mean, geez, it's, you know, every other song's classic. And this is probably my favorite, like I said, my favorite boy album. And this is probably my favorite song on here. Um, and with no other reason other than it's just, you know, catchy as hell. It's cakey. You know? That coming, that chunky. Yeah, like, it's like struts. A lot of these Bowie, the rock the, the straight up rock and roll Stones ass Bowie of the early '70s songs, like Gene Genie, and another one you put on here uh, later, um, or even Diamond Dogs uh, and Suffragette City. These are like the songs that in my head play when I walk into a bar and I'm feeling really cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, if it's got a strut. Yeah. It's got a swagger to you, it. I always know? think of, like, you could place any song. They do Hurricane by Bob Dylan in Days of Confused. But you could easily put any of these rocking Bowie songs uh, when Matthew McConaughey walks into that pool hall scene. <laughs> they, yeah. they play This is the Story of Hurricane, which is so perfect and iconic for that. But I think I think maybe some of these Bowie songs would even fit even better. Like Gene Genie. Like, Gene Genie, Liz on a hill. <laughs> Um, all right, so the next one is one of mine. Let me get to it. I'm kind of going back and forth here. Oh, Rock and Roll Suicide. I, be- I believe that's, again, another one from uh, Spiders from Mars album. Uh, yeah. I believe Yes, uh, which is a great album. This one gets a lot of play. A lot of people look at this one. A lot of people that know Bowie know a lot of the songs from this one, especially like Moon Age Daydream, which, you know, was got rebirthed with... Um, uh, what's that Marvel movie? Um, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy. They have that scene built around Moon Age Daydream. Uh, but we're not talking about Moon Age Daydream. We're talking about Rock and Roll Suicide, <laughs> the last track on that album. Very Lou Reed. Very Lou Reed. I think this could have been this could have been a, easily been a Velvet Underground song. Um, uh, I I like the imagery in here. I like. It's kind of more like if you had Bowie just doing an acoustic version. Uh, it's got some more things in it, but it builds. The The whole song, it starts off slow. Um, there's that imagery of like, light a cigarette, put it in your mouth. You know, it's this very, I'm starting off slow. And then by the end, I'm going to be up here. You know, it's it has a very musical, like Sondheim quality to it, or, or I guess more not Sondheim, more like um, fan of the opera, uh, uh, Jesus Christ superstar kind of vibe to it. Uh, that's operatic. Yeah, it it starts off. The sound starts off very much New York Andy Warhol underground. And then it ends on Broadway, like in a theater, yeah. you know, and that's it's almost like the song takes you down the streets. Like here's CBGB's. We're starting off at CBGB's <laughs> with our sound and then we're walking it down the street and then we're ending the song in Broadway. You know, and I thought that's a, a really kind of way, a good way to build a song. Oh. That's funny. That's that. an interesting way of putting that. Yeah. You know what? I think so, too. I just came up with that. Let me write that down. <laughs> He walked the song from CBGB's to Broadway, and no one stopped him. 
Just kept on walking. <laughs> no one mugged him. There no was no did. traffic. Nothing. <laughs> it was unheard of. All right. Um, next one. Uh, this was hard not to put it in my five. I think if you had three months ago, this would have been my number one Bowie song. Uh, this is one of your picks, uh, "Rebel Rebel." Yeah. Um, so also from Diamond Dogs um, came out in nineteen seventy four. Um, so pretty much the same thing as, as Gene Genie. Yeah. It just, it, it struts. It's, it's very, uh, like peacock, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's like, it just, it's just one of those things. It's just, you know, if you had to pick, you know, if you say old seventies punk rock, you know, some of the, 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 the cornerstone songs, you know, other than like the pistols and the damned and the clash and the moans. It's like, if you, if you pick glam rock, I, I think rebel rebel would have to be in that song to represent this era. Right. You and know? again, another song that you can listen to just for the rockingness. I think a lot of people mistake this song as about being, you know, very female empowering, but it's about, again, about, about trans in, in a, a, yeah. a transvestite, you know? Um, and I guess in this, I don't even think, uh, Bowie was thinking in terms of, of of trans. I think he was thinking in terms of what Velvet Goldmine was thinking about. It was about like exploring sexuality and in not being conforming to a gender specific norm. Um, right, like fluidity. Yeah, fluidity. Yeah, yeah uh, of that. Yeah, exactly. That's a great way of putting that. And so Gene Genie has that. That I mean, Genie, Rebel Rebel and. Gosh, I love this song so much. Just that opening. And then again, he doesn't go wild with it. He's just, he gets no, keeps it right no. in the pocket. You got your mother in a world because she's not sure if you're a boy or a girl. Right? What a great way to start a song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, next one, as we're getting through here, we have three more. Next one is, uh, oh, one of mine uh, is, oh, you pretty things. Oh, you pretty things. Again, off of Hunky Dory, uh, 1971. Um, oh, you pretty things. You said it earlier when you were talking about his poshness. On Even in a rocking song, like David Bowie is very British. and. Yeah. Even though his his sound on a lot of this early rock and roll stuff is very Elvis blues influenced, you know, um, that kind of harmonica based rock, he has these moments where he just can't help but being British. And also with Oh You Pretty Things, you start to see him bring in a lot more layers than some of just the rocking songs. Um, there's, there's, there's a couple more things happening as far as instrumentation in, in, in this, this song. And I just, it, it reminds me of, you know, oh, you like the, you pretty things is, you know, like it has this kind of the romantics type quality to it. You think of these like young dandies, um, and Again, another song about youth. A lot of our songs are, we're looking at are speak so much to youth and being young and, and exploring and the beginnings of a transformation. These are all songs about people transforming and society is kind of shaking a finger at them. Or like, and this one is very generational. It's 
it's like the the current generation is looking at the young generation and being like, oh, you guys, what do you know? And then with the caveat that this crazy generation will then be the next generation who's looking at their generation and saying, oh, you, what you don't know type thing. <laughs> All right. The next one we have on our playlist is uh, your last song of your five is Sorrow. Yeah, and so that comes off of uh, the 1973 LP Pinups, which is all covers. And so this is actually not an original Bowie song. Um, it was done by a band called the McCoys, who I believe were from Indiana. Hmm. And this was from their LP called uh, Hang On Sloopy. Um, that they put out in 1965, which the McCoys are, in my opinion, a really, really underrated band. Um, like if you like stuff like um, it was like the like kind of like the beginning of like bubblegum, like love and spoonful type kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, Sorrow, their version is awesome too. But Bowie puts his signature voice in it and it just oh my gosh man that song is like it'll like just teleport you somewhere else (laughs) yeah and again like we talked about his his voice that that signature voice of his that composed you know proper almost stern voice stern at times yeah that's almost otherworldly and and, you know that might sound cliche to sound say about david boy but it is you can hear a song and you know it's him because that voice is so unmistakable the flight of the concords does a really good job of parroting it in that episode where bowie was like i'm I'm 1977 (laughs) david bowie I'm Halloween Jack. Bowie's in space. (laughs) Bowie, 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 Bowie. (laughs) We might have to stop. Go watch that. Come back. Add it to this podcast. Bring it in. We got to bring it in here somehow. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, that that song uh, is just killer to me. Um, It's one of my. I mean, yeah, it's probably one of my favorite. One of his ballads. It reminds me of Five Years a little bit in the sense of how deep and. Like his voice just conveys that internal controlled suffering, um, yeah, that he does so well. It's not an outward wail; it's a composed ballad of of grief or sadness, uh, struggle, yeah, sorrow, if you will. Yeah, yeah. we can put that in there. Um, <laughs> Uh, the last one on the track, and my last one is from Low, the 1977 album by David Bowie. An album that uh, is a good album, I think, that will will get its day uh, in court. Um, this is called Sound and Vision. One of which is Bowie's, dude, I almost put that on my list too. One of Bowie's short, shorter songs, uh, and again, this one's probably the most different from the ones that we've previously picked on the track, just from its arrangement standpoint. Yeah. I love the bass in this so much. That kind of almost like slappy kind of poppy bass, but it's all muted down. Uh, And I also think it really describes Bowie's kind of songwriting process 
like sound and vision. Blue, blue, electric blue. That's the color in my room. You know, it's this very simple. It reminds me of what Jack White would write right now. Like, when you're in your little room and you're working on something good. You know, this very short song. I don't know what the song is about. I don't know what he was thinking. But to me, it's about looking at tones. Like his, you know, it's not about necessarily telling a story. It's about capturing a feeling, sound and vision, right? Like sound and fury, but sound and vision. It's It's like... Oh, I have these images. Let me put the sound. Let me put the sound to these images, as opposed to let me tell a story about a girl who falls in love with a boy. It's not that. That's not Bowie. Bowie is, you know, uh, about like, hmm, I'm I'm in this mood. What images can mm. I put to this mood? And then what sounds can I put to those images? Uh, and when he says that lyric, and like blue, blue, electric blue, that's the color. And I love how he goes. He'll go high, and then he he sings backups on his own track, right? Blue, blue, electric <laughs> yeah. blue. And then he gets that, that's the color in my room. It's very musical. It's very Broadway-esque. It's also very vaudeville. It's like where you're playing multiple parts and you're in your own song. And uh, it's just like to switch from those registers. Uh, it's just great. Great song. Yeah. And y- you know what I find really interesting about this song is it's so melodic and the vocals don't kick in till about like halfway through the right. song. And that tells me a couple of things that this, that I think the way, well, the way I like to think is he recognizes the instrumentation and how melodic it is. And I feel like he doesn't want to put vocals on that. Mm-hmm. I feel like he wants to let just the music, you know, be brought to you. Mm-hmm. And he comes in with the vocals halfway through or even more than that. Um, and I feel like that's like he recognizes that and he puts the music ahead of his own ego mm-hmm. to say, you know, I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it does. And I, I was jogging the other day listening to this, and that was the first time it hit me that the the, the lyrics don't come in till the middle of it. Um, yeah. And you don't. It's it's that's a good sign when you don't realize that half the track is instrumental. It's not right. like some Guns N' Roses songs. Where you're like, dude, we're like a minute into this. Can we get? <laughs> Because it's yeah, it's because yeah. it's it's the same. It's like the super repetitive chords. Oh, you know, yeah. over and over. Yeah, and over. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this like, and it's also one of the ones where he picks up the rhythm. He sings just like he's not singing off the rhythm because it because it's almost like it, it begs you to put your own lyrics to it at the beginning where it's like, and you can like replace any lyrics in there like like noon. Sitting here, grab a beer. <laughs> now I'm drinking my beer. You know, like whatever it is. But wow, Funny. that was really fun, man. I had a really good time going over those songs. I think we have learned to pick much more manageable size playlists so we can get a little bit into each of the tracks. That was really fun. Yeah, that I, was, yeah. You think? I'm glad we did this. This was a fun one. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed listening to it. Um, thank you, Jay, for indulging my. Uh, Bowie's curiosities uh, and and doing this. I know you're not the hugest Bowie, but it was fun looking at that. And thanks for recommending uh, Velvet Goldmine. I'm glad I finally got that 
can scratch that off my Bowie list and my Ewan McGregor list. So that's that's always good as a twofer. And we talked uh-huh. a lot about transformation today and, 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 and how that might be needed in order to reach the heights of creativity and rock and roll. So it'd be interesting to see if that comes up on any of our uh, upcoming podcasts. And you can find all our past podcasts at popbonsai.com. You can find them on iTunes. You can find them on Spotify, your preferred podcast providers. We're on a lot of them. Um, you can always, uh, you know, send us an email through one of those or leave us a comment uh, or rating on Spotify or iTunes if you feel so inclined. Um, and after we get off this podcast, Jay and I are going to talk about what's coming up. So we'll make sure to put that up on the website or you can just tune into the next episode in a couple of weeks and find out for yourself. Oh, so um, until until that time, uh, I'm Travis and over here is... I'm Jay. Yep. I don't know why I'm doing it this way at the end this time. I, got, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> you can just take it. And yeah, go I usually just take it this way. Yeah, you know what? I am just going to take it. I'm taking it, and we're going to ride it into the next wave of the podcast. Nope, that's not it. I'm going to reset it again. And so, ladies and gentlemen, we hope you've enjoyed surfing the waves of David Bowie and had a glamorous glamorous rock and roll time with us on the Pop Bonsai Podcast, and we will catch you next Pop Wave. Bonsai!